0: Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris and I'm Jake, and I hope you enjoyed the really lonely, just me in my house, all by myself episode. Oh, Last
1: by myself. <laughs> That's Chris.
0: That's the song I should have chosen at the end of that. Oh, episode. that would have been perfect. That would have been perfect, but I, I, instead oh, I well, chose uh, I chose Frank Sinatra. My way, which is which is like my new theme song. Anyway, so we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be getting rid of the actual the midweek episode. Um, it's a lot of work for Jake and it's a lot of work for me. And we're just going to go to a weekly uh, weekly episode so we can kind of shift. We're going to move the the some of the history stuff onto the Monday episode. Right. And just kind of start to break things up. And we're going to have more guests on. And so we're going to kind of shake up the format a little bit. If you guys, you know, don't like it or you want that stuff back, make sure you give us feedback and we'll, we'll give you whatever we want. Whatever you want,
1: I was gonna say, yeah, it will give you whatever you want. You just gotta let us know. We're just, we just think that this might be. We're, we're trying to focus really on the uh, weekly episode, yeah. yeah. So this will really help us get better content right. for you guys. But let us know,
0: yeah. So on today's episode, it's gonna be it's a really special episode, especially for me because this guy is awesome. It's Ray Schaefer. He runs Porsche Classic down at the Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta, and they do all kinds of like crazy restorations there. They right. just did a they just did a Carrera GT. Porsche Classic did a Carrera GT, which is that's not very classic. It's like twenty years old now. Isn't yeah, you're it? right. It's
1: 2004, it, I think. That's yeah. Let's see. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, so 15 years old at least. It might be before 2004.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna look and see when those actually actually came out. We've got Wikipedia can be right here for me. So 2003. Yeah, okay. is when that came out. 2003 to 2007. So it's been out for 15, 16 years. That's crazy. So it's,
1: it's my my bigger question with that then. Who? What car has been driven that hard in the last fifteen years that it needs a full restoration? Now? I don't think it was a restoration. I think we'll talk to him about it. He'll okay. tell. He'll
0: tell us all about
1: it. That'll be it's interesting. A, it's a
0: really cool project that they did, and we're going to talk a little bit about the seventieth anniversary auction that they just had uh, down at the Porsche Experience Center. There, yeah, I heard about and this. And a lot of cool cars went through there. Project Gold went through there, brought like crazy money for charity, which is cool. Um, and then the uh, the part, the Perry Car car. Perry dakar car, car <laughs> was, it's a Perry dakar car, car was sold. Is, it, uh, is that how you say Paris-Dakar? Well, you don't say Paris-Dakar. That's you say how Paris. I say it. Yeah, well, you're American, and I'm pretending not to be. <laughs> I'm so. pretending to be French. <laughs> so that car sold, and uh, I want to hear kind of some history on that car. Also, we're going to talk about um, Ray's got a car that he's restoring. Oh, As okay. going to talk a little bit about that. I imagine it's a Porsche. A yeah, wild it guess is. here. Yeah, are So we're, I want to find out what's going on with that. So um, later on in the episode, I've actually got a really cool story about a van <laughs> and that's all i'm gonna say it's a really cool story about a van so this that's, is
1: gonna be hashtag van life it's gonna be hashtag van
0: life and it's it's uh it's called the wild cherry van so i'm really excited to tell you guys about that story as well it's gonna be it's gonna be good i've got like pages and pages here to tell you about this awesome. this fiasco that's going on with this wild cherry van it's current news so you can go look it up <laughs> okay as, as you listen here if you want to google it you'll be able to see pictures of it and uh and everything else so um other than that if you haven't stopped over at patreon.com/overcrust we would really appreciate you doing, doing that it's 5 bucks or 10 bucks a month you get a t-shirt you get a print or you get both
1: And you get to listen to the episodes as soon as we record them.
0: And as soon as we figure out how to broadcast the episodes live, they're going to be live there as well. As soon as we figure out the technicality of it, which which has been kind of a pain. Um, And, you know, if you guys like this podcast, your friends will like this podcast, too. Spread the word. uh, Absolutely. share, Share it. You know, don't don't keep your wonderful podcast that you like to yourself. <laughs> don't be selfish. You know, Christmas is coming. Tell everybody about the podcast.
1: What if people just got like our little business card as a gift? Should we like mail those out to people so they can give them to all their friends go. as go a start, Christmas gift? Just start
0: putting them all over people's cars and Love stuff. It. And, yeah, and then they'll, they'll hate us because we touch. Them. I hate it when people do that. When Why? I'm at a car show and someone like slips, I don't don't touch my car. Don't you? Do Here's don't what seem I like.
1: like: someone who should be that particular about it. For that, I don't like it. Okay, because you, know, if you I, like thrash your car, you use it. People right. love that about you, right? And yet you don't want someone because, touching your car. At a it's car because show.
0: they don't know me. They don't know that I'm I know. like that. It's it's disrespectful. it's disrespectful. You know what I
1: like is when my windows
0: open, they just throw it on my seat. I do that. That's cool with me. I'm fine. Everybody wants to throw anything on my seat. paraphernalia.
1: Well, Go I was ahead. gonna say, what else are they gonna throw <laughs> I don't on know. your yeah, seat? Yeah, we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes.
0: Um, so I still haven't sold the 996 yet. That's, I keep getting like almost there with it like uh-huh. people are like almost interested and then and then they're not again and it's
1: just it's getting really really frustrating I know we talked about it already I don't want to get in too much but it's it's Jake has some some wheels and tires for sale at Jake's used tire emporium as well for what for an MG midget <laughs> that he no longer has uh, and Jake is also referring to himself in the third person now yeah. for some
0: reason so I, I haven't done anything to my car I okay. got, still haven't dropped it off at the body shop yeah, you're I need gonna to do drop that.
1: it back off at of the body shop so they can do some more tweaking on the the flares uh, flares
0: yeah there's some they
1: we just say it, it needs to be tweaked.
0: Yeah, it needs to be, they, they did some things that I wasn't happy with that they're going to repair and, That's and, fine. And, and do over again. Yep. And we'll, we'll see how good of a job they do
1: before I uh, light them up on the podcast. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you also were sending me some Craigslist finds of your own. Earlier Was this I? Week, What did I send you? You sent me a slew of Suzuki Samurai. Yes, I
0: really want a Suzuki Samurai. You know, I've you know, I look at all the off road stuff that you can do. Everything's a million dollars, right? If you want like a forerunner okay. or a or an FJ or any any yeah. of this stuff, they're all like fifteen 000, twenty thousand dollars. Suzuki okay. Troopers are even expensive, huh. but you can still get into a new, uh, Suzuki Samurai for cheap. Here's the problem, though. <laughs> they're teeny. They're really small. They have a, a tendency to roll over. Theoretically, it's, I've never yeah. experienced that, but they have a tendency to maybe roll over. However, yeah, um, they do have a like a lock. They're a real four wheel drive system, so they have full locking, diffs. full locking differentials. The only problem is they only have like sixty five or seventy horsepower.
1: Yeah, but if you're rock crawling, you don't need that much power, especially if it has a, a low range gearbox.
0: Yeah, but what about elevation? You know, I've experienced a loss of power in my nine eleven at elevation. If you have a low range gearbox and you're just granny crawling by, over rocks. By the way, I found. A huge chunk of the turbo stuff for, like, 1500 bucks. Okay.
1: I don't so, know why you were talking about up in the Rockies and you said huge chunk. I thought, like, you found a huge boulder in the back <laughs> of your car, like, like on the bumper. No, I found a huge <laughs> chunk of turbo
0: stuff. The guy wants 1500 bucks for it. Okay. It's really tempting. I do not have $1,500. I won't till I get my transmission back and sell it or get my car back and sell my CIS stuff. Okay. Um... We'll, we'll see if I can I can make it happen. But I'm just starting to like worry do that I'm, you, I'm. Do you
1: want like a super high interest loan from Jake the loan shark. No. OK. No, no. I'm I offering. Do, no, I do not.
0: <laughs> no, um, I just I don't. I'm worried that I'm underestimating how hard this project is going to be and how much it's going to cost. I
1: guarantee you are because hold on. I'm looking at something on the wall. What is that?
0: That is our new license plate that we got from one of our listeners. His, uh, they, he and his freshman students made it in class. I posted it on the Instagram.
1: I haven't seen that yet. That's so yeah, cool. Awesome.
0: I'm going to hang it on the door. That's awesome. That's what you keep looking at. I keep like turning around and wondering like if someone's walking in the door or something. No.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, anyway, awesome. sorry to, to distract. No, that's okay. Thank you to So I have to him. get like,
0: um, I, th- I see it as I got to get all the CIS turbo parts, and then I got to get new pistons, new cams. And then it would just drive (laughs) like that's like in my head. That's how it would work. But my friend Aaron at flat six, just before you got here, sent sent me a text message. He goes, you know, this is going to cost like $10,000. Right. And I'm like, "Mm, really? He's like, yeah. And you're going to blow up that gearbox that you have. You know that. Right. I'm like. Unless you spend another ten thousand dollars to build one of those, I'm like, oh and man, you're
1: not going to be happy with like the boost is going to be awesome for like a month, and then you're going to be like, let's turn
0: it up just a little bit. I
1: know, more. right? And you're I, it's in gonna, my, you're going to keep doing it. In
0: my head, I'm like, yeah, two hundred seventy-five horsepower sounds great. That would be enough, right?
1: Yeah, until you have it, and then you go, you realize how easy it is to get
0: like a little bit more. That's why I want to do just a wastegate spring. Yeah. So, like, there's no knob. I don't want a knob. A knob would be <laughs> – having a knob would be – The I would, dial a smoke. I would just – I would put a big knob on it, and then I yep. would put a label of a nuclear bomb yep. on the knob. Right. So every time I thought about doing that, I would just see, like, a nuclear explosion, <laughs> which is what is going to happen if I turn that knob up. You already have the anymore. big
1: dollar sign on your rev limit. I
0: do. I do. And now
1: you need the nuclear symbol on your boost. Yeah, just to yeah, keep okay. myself
0: under control. So I'm, a, I'm kind of – that's where I'm at on that idea. And I, I, I'm probably – going to do it because it's like it's, it's the inception has happened inception the seed has been happened. planted in the yes. core of my mind to do this turbo swap so it doesn't I, need
1: to happen right away though either you can like maybe slowly accumulate things
0: yeah but the problem is is that i need to sell things in order to accumulate the things i don't have enough money to just go out and buy parts willy-nilly you could save yeah, it doesn't work that way for me. I mean, I <laughs> I have things I'm saving for, but it's not car stuff. Okay, you gotcha. know, I, that's I, a separate budget. Yeah, that's a separate separate deal. So I'm just trying to figure out how I can make this happen. I'm kind of worried about it. So
1: speaking of uh, seed being planted and things aren't uh, like good enough as is, keep wanting more. You have on your list of things to talk about that road trips are like a drug.
0: They are, and this comes from like writing my article a little bit. I've been working on that really hard. I'm about probably about four thousand words into my article. Wow, for Triple Zero Magazine. Okay, about the trip, and I'm just now getting to California. Okay, I still have to write the other half of the article. Yeah, coming back. Yeah, so we're gonna have to pare that down a little bit. Sorry, Pete's out. <laughs> we'll have to work on getting that. Be
1: like, so I need an entire issue just for and myself.
0: Also, I just turned in 500 pictures as wow. well. So that that's that's probably not a nice thing to do either. But I don't know what to do. They're all pictures i like and they're all relevant yeah, you
1: might as well i mean as long as they don't mind calling through them yeah
0: so i i don't know it's, but
1: so you want to go on another road trip is that I, what this is about
0: it, the problem is is that when i think of the road trip i think of like okay i've done that i mm-hmm. need to do more to get the same sense of experience and adventure it's like each adventure has to be like bigger better more yeah more extreme farther sure see more things, do more things.
1: It's like an adrenaline junkie, but instead of, yeah, I mean, it's kind of adrenaline, Yeah, it is.
0: Well, it started out with like little trips to like Georgia Uh, sure, and then like just driving to car shows. And then it was like, and then as soon as I did the trip with Alex back from Monterey, right. That was so amazing that I did it this year to car week. And I went twice as far because I went all the way there and And back. back. And now I'm just like, well, that wasn't so hard. Like what (laughs) else can I do? And uh, we've, I've got some things on the works to do a, a, an even bigger trip. I yeah. just can't say anything. Awesome. Yet. So we'll we'll see I'm how excited that goes. To hear about it. So what's going on with you? Have you done anything? Or are you just?
1: I <coughs> uh, I have done things. Um, most notably. <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I've done things. Okay. No. Most notably, I realized I forgot to do an oil change on my truck.
0: You sent me a picture of you doing an oil change. Yep. How long, how many
1: miles? That's what I almost don't want to tell people. Okay. So okay, was it?
0: Okay, was it? What kind of oil did you have in there?
1: Standard.
0: Okay. Just
1: (laughs) run of the mill. He's
0: got dyno oil. Was it more than 3,000 miles? Uh huh. Was it more than 5,000 miles? So here. Wait, let me say. Was it less than 20,000 miles? Yes, it was. Was it less than 15,000 miles? Barely. (laughs) (laughs) When I met my wife, she had a Ford Focus ZX3. Okay. And (laughs) I I wasn't like, we were dating, so I wasn't like maintaining the cars for her. And she bought this thing when I, when I I basically when I met her and drove it. And then like two years later, I, she still had it. I'm like, hey, when was the last time you changed the oil? And she's like, what? <laughs> That's a thing? Well, she knew it was a thing, but she just didn't do it. Yeah. You know, she didn't do it because every time she would go to the quick oil change place, they'd be like, hey, why don't you buy this fishing lure special edition with your oil change and all new wipers and, hey, all your light bulbs are burned out. I've never been offered a fishing lure for it, the record. Well, like quick lube places, there's always like a deal, right? So if you do this oil change, they would give you like a fishing lure. This is up in northern, okay. northern suburbs, yeah, right? Okay. But she, forty
1: thousand miles, no oil change. All
0: she would add oil. Okay, I was
1: wondering if she added. She would or check it, and it, add it, yeah. Yep.
0: But she didn't change it, and I'm like, that thing is for sale now. Get it out of and here. here. Now it's gone, and I wonder if the guy that owns it listens but i know it's still running he, dro- oil. He, he drove it around you know he drove it there's oh, no man. problem with it so
1: yeah so i for some reason i like remembered doing an oil change earlier this summer and then i looked in my log book after i did this one and i definitely did not do an oil change earlier this summer yeah, okay. and i was like okay 3000 is kind of the old rule of thumb wise tale on just like yeah. standard oil dyno oil yeah right which and is like
0: now that you do synthetic seems like Jesus, that's nothing. 3,000 Right. Well, not miles? only that,
1: I, they now they say five thousand even just on standard oil. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, five thousand isn't that big a deal. That's usually what I'd go for. And then my I was talking to someone. and They're like, yeah, even the dealer is saying like eight thousand now just on standard oil. I was like, okay, well, that's pushing it for me. But I don't feel that bad going to eight thousand. Like I, I would do it. Before <laughs> I don't know that. that and I then would. I looked at my book and I was like thirteen thousand five hundred miles. Oh
0: my gosh, dude. Oops. Yeah. Were you so adding?
1: I. I, yes, I was adding okay. to it, so that's the other reason I don't feel that bad. Is like, well, I'd put in a cord every few thousands. So. You burned it, so sure, so we're good. That's fresh, kind of.
0: Nice work. I'm glad you changed it. But you put the liquamali. I stuff put in, in liquamali
1: because. How did, the
0: oil, how did the oil look, by the way?
1: Like black as I've ever seen. Oh, the blackest man. of oil.
0: Yikes! I mean, it, but wasn't, it was still liquid, right? Yeah, it, wasn't it wasn't coming like out of there thick like a or booger. <laughs> you see <laughs> those things on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you open it up and just uh, like. It's like slowly a, flows yeah, as yeah. one, like, like it's like
1: putty resin or something yeah. just coming out. Yeah, at least it wasn't that. Yeah, so I put in the good Liquimali stuff because if p- listeners remember from an episode where we had uh, Chad Morgan on from liquimali what was the rating system? The Noac rating. The Noac, exactly. Rating. That's what it's going to bring up because this truck it doesn't burn it traditionally, like it doesn't go by the rings or anything, and it doesn't leak it, but right. it uses oil because I think it boils off basically. Okay, and that's what that Noac rating is referring to. So liquimali has the highest NOAC rating in the industry so it shouldn't basically boil off at all sure so okay. I'm excited for that well good yeah so so did that also, now you can go 20,000 yeah <laughs> it's an oil change now <laughs> yeah just uh yeah so that that's good um maybe maybe like 8,000 that's With what I was synthetic I still yeah was like yeah I drive forever I'm like now nah, five six to thousand. 8, 8, five to eight is what I was yep. thinking for sure um also working on my mini garage renovation Okay. So I just bought I all still think new you just move. upper cabinets and lower cabinets. You bought new ones? No, not new. Oh, okay. I There's a guy that does like industrial stuff on Craigslist for, for that cabinet. So okay. I just picked that up. I'm excited about that.
0: Right on. We'll That's just what start I got organizing on. Thing a little bit. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, give Ray a call, and we'll have him back on the line in just a minute. We've got Ray Schaefer here on the podcast. Thanks for coming on, man.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: It's been uh, it's been great talking to you and seeing you at some of the different events. Uh, you know, I saw you down at the, the kickoff for the Appalachian Adventure, and then I saw you out at at RenSport again. And uh, I really, uh, I've I've been kind of following what you do on on Instagram at the Porsche Experience Center and with Porsche Classic, and uh, I've I've really taken a, a liking to what you've got going on.
2: Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. It's been. It's been a fun year. There's a lot going on, as you know, with the 70th anniversary. So we've been to a lot of events.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into like all the Porsche Classic and stuff like that, I kind of want to get a feel for what it is with you and cars. So I want to I want to find out a little bit about where your your car passion comes from and where its inception was for you as a kid.
2: Yeah, it it goes way back. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't born into an a sort of an automotive family in the industry or anything. I am from Pittsburgh, and so I mean, it kind of kind of in the Rust Belt area where there was a lot of, um, a lot of foundation for the industry around it. And my grandfather worked at a company. He ran a factory up there in Pittsburgh that made uh, springs and axles for the automotive industry and what have you. And so kind of around it but never really into it. My dad liked cars, and my uncle did. And we just were kind of around it. And one day my uncle shows up at our house uh, with his station wagon and throws all these cardboard boxes out into our our driveway and, and uh, basically said to me, here, you can have all these car magazines if you want them. If not, get rid of them. Throw them away. Do whatever you want. And it yeah, it turned out to be, of course, this is the mid-'80s. It turned out to be almost a complete collection of road and track magazines. So I, I took it upstairs to my room, and I, I scrolled it away and put it in chronological order, and it became like um, my baseball trading card things. If you, I didn't trade them, but I sat there and studied them over and over and over again. And so that became sort of my foundation for understanding things. Uh, was through Road and Track magazine as a kid.
1: You still have that collection today?
2: I, st- I sure do, and I've continued to add to it. So now it goes all the way up to 2018. Wow, very cool.
0: What's interesting is that being a car enthusiast back then with car magazines, now it's easy with Instagram and yep. the internet. It's all right there. Yep. Anytime you want, you can go and grab information about anything. But back then, you had to make a kind of a solid effort to go see any kind of enthusiast-based okay. stuff. I mean, so you really had to love it to be into it that hard.
2: Yeah, totally. As a matter of fact, um, you know, being in Pittsburgh again, there wasn't a whole lot going on, uh, sort of event-wise, like we have. It seems like nowadays, and of course, the ability to travel when you're a kid. So, but there was the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix, and every year, and this was it started in 1983, and so by 1986, I had enough of sort of watching it from the hillside, and I wanted to get closer to the action like a lot of car people want to do. And so um, I went into those road and track magazines, and I went back to the classified section, which was our sort of Instagram, Facebook, Google, you name it, of the day. And I went through the car club section, and I just took all the addresses for every car club that was in there, and I wrote them a letter. And I said, if you need a photographer, if you need a journalist to write about the Vintage Grand Prix, I'm here, just get me a pit pass. And, of course, as a 16-year-old, I wasn't a photographer and I wasn't a journalist. <laughs> but um, the Lotus Club came back and said, yeah, that'd be great. We've got a newsletter. We'd love to have a story about it. And so I wound up with a pit pass. Of course, it was 86, and so uh, it was the year that uh, Bob Aiken had won Sebring with the Coca-Cola 962. And so when I heard when I heard him being interviewed on the loudspeaker that he was there with his son Bobby, who was racing a Lotus 18 Formula Junior, I thought to myself, well, that's that's the angle right there. I need to go find this guy. And as it turns out, um, those who knew Bob, uh, unfortunately he passed away uh, in the early 2000s, but those who knew Bob knew he was a really generous, mentor-like person for a lot of people. And I happened to be one of those one of those people. And uh, he stayed with it for for years with me and. Um, gave a lot of guidance, and that's actually how I kind of wound, wound up to come to work at Porsche was through a connection um, having known Bob
0: so have you uh, is there anything that kind of happened in 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 your relationship with him that was like a singular inspirational thing that he did for you, or is there kind of like a broad thing that he kind of helped you out with?
2: Well you know it started out with this sort of the it started with the writing uh, which he was kind enough to sort of encourage me uh, along those lines. I did the article for the Lotus newsletter. And he encouraged me to continue writing what have you. And so I did that. Um, I went to work in the car industry selling cars, and we always stayed in touch. And at one point in time, I was at a Cadillac store, and he said to me, um, we were trying to put a deal together, and it wasn't really working because the manager that I worked for at the time was a bit of a, bit of a jerk. And uh, I called him up at home one night, and I said, Bob, I, I know you're trying to buy this car, through me because of our friendship and all that, but just do yourself a favor and go to your go to your local dealer and just buy the car because this guy is just not working with us. <laughs> and and so Bob said to me, he goes, look, I don't know why you're selling Cadillacs, anyways. You know, you love Porsche, you should be at a Porsche dealership. He said, I happen to know a guy uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, who sells Porsches. If you want to come down to Daytona for the uh, HSR race, I'll introduce you to him. And of course, this was 1998, and uh, Bob was talking about Bob Snodgrass who happened to be a partner in Brumos Porsche. And so I went down, and I did, the, I did the HSR weekend with Bob. And during one of the breaks, he said, come on, we'll take you over and introduce you to Bob Snodgrass. And we walked over to where all the buses were camped out, and Bob Aiken knocked on the door, and the door swings open. And if you knew Bob Snodgrass, he was a big, big imposing guy. And the door opens, and Bob's there, and he says, come on up, come on up. And so we go up into the Prevost bus, and as we're walking to the back to meet the sales manager, we go past the kitchen, and sitting at the table is Hurley Haywood with Rob Dyson and Paul Newman. And I thought to myself, I don't care what they pay, I am working for this company. <laughs> so. Oh,
0: well, that kind of—I uh, mean—that so must have been a little uh, yeah. celebrity shock there, not expecting
2: that. Yeah, it was great. I mean. No, not at all. But, you know, if you know Brumos, I mean, they were always right in the middle of everything with uh, with racing and the cars and selling cars. It was just a phenomenal place to be. And I wound up being there almost 20 years before coming to Porsche.
0: So when you were when you were first starting to get into cars and you were collecting those road and tracks and stuff like that, what was what was the car that you lusted after in those days? What was the one that really moved you?
2: Well, it was a, it was a 911. Uh, there's no question about it. My, my first car was not a 911, but it was as close as I could get for a $1,000. It was a 1966 Corvair Coupe.
0: That's pretty close. I mean, yeah. you're, you're working in the same area anyway. <laughs> so like either
2: that or fair. a Volkswagen. Right, right. Well, this was six cylinders, though, so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so it, was, it was pretty close. And still air-cooled. It was a good-looking car, too. I mean, if you that was the second-generation and when you took all the chrome off of it and put the Yanko tail on it and everything, it looked, it looked pretty good, lowered it down a little bit, and uh, as a, it was a good-looking car. So, And, of course, being from Pittsburgh, Yanko, um, sort of as a side story, I worked at one of the dealerships that in its previous ownership was Yanko Chevrolet. And so I had a lot of the people there that uh, were there back in the late 60s, 70s when all that was going on.
1: Very cool. The only uh like knowledge I have of Yanko is that the Yanko Camaros, right? They were the, yeah, the hot right. Camaros at the time. I didn't realize yeah. they did stuff with uh, the Corvairs as well. That's really cool. So yeah, yeah were they you racing some- at one time? Did you
0: did
2: some I did. Yeah. What I was- did. It was um I did some go kart racing as a lot of people start out. You know, that's what you can afford when you're a kid. And I uh, did that for many years. And when I went to um, went to Brumos and I had the ability to um pay for a little bit more than go-karts, then I was able to rub together some nickels and, and go do the Skip Barber School and Series in the Southern Series. And from that point, uh, it went rather well. They do, did a great job of training you. And so from there, I felt like I could take on what I really liked was uh, showroom stock racing. I'd always been into that type of deal. And uh, went and did the Motorola Cup and almost um, on the debut at Road America, almost won the What won you our driving class. There? We finished second. It was a BMW Z Coupe. You remember those? Yeah, I do. The mm-hmm. Car that looked like the cl- they call them the clown shoe. I think is like the nickname <laughs> for that car. Yeah,
0: one of my buddies has one of
2: those. Great cars. They are, they are. But it was rear wheel drive, and I was I was mostly interested in getting rear wheel drive experience because I wanted to do uh, GT cars, and there was a lot of front wheel drive cars in the ST category back then, and I just didn't feel like that. that that was what I wanted to develop, and so I was looking for a rear-wheel drive car. And believe it or not, that was one of the few cars in the class. You know, it had great brakes and the wonderful sound of that straight-six engine uh, it was a it was a fun car to drive.
0: So was that so something that, that at that car. time? Were you were you trying to pursue that as a career, or was it something yeah, just I was, for fun?
2: No, I, you know, I was in my I was in my late twenties at that point in time. I was well aware of the type of money that it took to. Um, uh, that it took to um, you know to get into racing like that, and so I was always aware of that that aspect of it, and so I, I, I tried to work it for a while. so I was doing the the racing uh, ladder in my mind, and at the same time, I was doing the uh, business ladder and when the opportunity came to be a manager at Brumos and I was using my vacation time one day at a time in order to travel to go to a racetrack once or twice a month. It was really a difficult thing to keep up and so I, had to, I felt like I had to make a decision and I decided to go the business route because one thing I remembered from Bob Aiken was that he started out as a young man but then he was also faced with the decision do you try and be a professional this way or do you take care of business first and then be able to afford to do what you want to do, which was his successful model. and So I kind of followed. That made sense to me that you would have a better control over your destiny if you could afford to do that and so I pursued the business end of it from that point and um, yeah kind of here I am so I stopped I stopped that pursuit and managed to stay involved with the vintage end of it thanks to the uh, Brumos collection and they're uh, taking the cars out every now and then and running them so I had some fun opportunities and some really interesting cars as a result of that
0: so how uh, how did Porsche classic come about where did that where did the where did that start in America
2: here specifically uh, when when the PEC opened up um, in 2015, there's a workshop here that was uh, going to be an opportunity to sort of showcase the product range and the offerings of what Porsche Classic was doing. And that the goal of Porsche Classic is to, um, really, is to preserve and maintain the historic vehicles that Porsche hasn't produced in series production within the last 10 years. And so, basically, you take the Carrera GT as an example. That car went out of production in 2006. For the european market so in january of two thousand sixteen it became the responsibility of the classic department inside porsche because as you know most manufacturers only have a twenty-year obligation to make parts for a vehicle after it goes out of production but porsche still making parts for three fifty sixes and and everything else <laughs> and so they're very very passionate about that they really weren't promoting it much um, but they were doing it and so it became part of a bigger strategy going into the future to make sure that uh, that people had the parts they needed and the service they needed to keep the cars on the road that that they love to drive. And, you know, that's really what the the Porsche is all about, is the driving of the cars, as you guys know so well.
0: Well, I was talking to some guy at at Rensport about, uh, I think we were looking at one of the 917s that were there. There was Mm -hmm. so many, I don't remember which one it was. But he was saying, hey, you know what's really cool is I can take this 917 engine, I can ship it back to Porsche, and they will rebuild the engine for me. And I think that's yeah. that's crazy, I think that's really, really special. I mean obviously, you could send like some Ford Motor to Ford to rebuild it because it's been the same forever. but when you have a <laughs> when you have a flat twelve or something like that, it's really, really special it's really sp- specific and was only designed for one thing at one time and the fact yeah. that they're willing to to participate in rebuilding and preserving that is one of the reasons why their pedigree has been so good over all these years,
2: yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Do you see the videos that were out recently when they were doing the uh, Brumos restoration of the uh, 917-10 out at Porsche Motorsport there in Carson and where the PECLA is?
0: I saw it through the glass. That's (laughs) That's all I could see. I I was like hands on the glass like, oh, man. (laughs) And I asked some guy, I'm like, hey, do you think there's (laughs) any way I can maybe get in there to take a look? And I'm like, I'm a Porsche, I try, like, I'm like a Porsche journalist, Work for Triple Zero, I have a podcast. He's like, yeah, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. I'm
0: like, oh, man. Yeah, but I saw that car get yeah. worked on. That was, that was really, really special. Um, you speak on the Carrera yeah. GT. Now, you guys just had a commission um, to do a Carrera GT. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how that came to be?
2: Yeah, that's that's really an interesting uh, program. As I, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, the Carrera GT uh, is the newest or the latest classic vehicle? It's hard to believe that 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 car's out of production now. Ten years. And it yeah. seems uh, so new. Actually, yeah, more than that does, and it looks it still looks new. So th- the idea of restoring a Carrera GT really wasn't something that that was sort of on the top of everybody's mind. Obviously, there's a lot of 356 and air cooled 911s out there that kind of fit that mold. Uh, but I, I happen to be having lunch here at Restaurant 356 in the Experience Center Atlanta with a um, a local. Friend and customer uh, and we were talking about favorite cars and sort of missed opportunities and he had mentioned that of all the cars he had in his collection that the Carrera GT was without a doubt his personal favorite because back then and again you have to think in terms of young people who do well uh, back then you know he couldn't afford the car and, and he was too young to get it and all that so now he can and here we are so we, we started talking about well what if you could order the car you know what would you have done And so through that lunch conversation, we kind of came up with this idea. It's like it doesn't – what if we could restore? But restore is really not the right word. And we sort of landed on the idea of the thought of recommissioning one, you know, Mm -hmm. taking one that has, you know, just buy one and then just let's redo it and recommission the car. What would you do? And so we went through that process. Uh, He went and got the car and brought it to us. And then uh, we, we worked with the facility here in Atlanta as well as the one in Stuttgart, to recommission this car and then that's what you saw presented on friday his dream was oak green metallic which is a car color that had favor with uh, Ferry porsche he wanted something that was a classical combination the wheels were inspired by uh, bbs type wheels Uh, but as you know magnesium you can't chrome plate and polish the lips of those wheels so we actually did some research and development on that and came up with a silver paint that looks like chrome and it's amazing the finish on it uh, when you see this car in person. But it really accomplishes that. And, of course, went through all the durability testing and everything that you'd expect from Porsche. Wow. So beyond
0: the paint and stuff, what else did you guys do with the car?
2: Well, was, it was completely disassembled. And everything was checked and measured uh, right down to the, to the bare tub. And this, through Visaw we were able to use a lot of tools and equipment that are for development that aren't necessarily just in a in a shop anywhere for um, for work, and through that you're able to see it's like well okay so if we if we take this suspension apart is everything is everything straight is this is this going to be new when we're done with it, and so we're able to measure all that uh, those tolerances and, and then put back together what is fine and replace what what might might not be new. And of course, it's some wear and tear items. And the Carrera GT, even even with low mileage on a Carrera GT, this one was about 5,000 miles when it started. Um, mm. The car is more like a, more like a Kentucky Derby racehorse. You, and, and that is to say, it's like you don't just put it out in the field and let it eat grass <laughs> and expect it to go win the Kentucky Derby, right? I mean, you have to give it a special diet and exercise and feeding and what have you. And and the Carrera GT really is a super sports car, whereas like a 911, you know, it's, it's a um, – it's a more normal in that sense that you don't you don't necessarily have to give it that sort of treatment, and so this car uh, went through the whole process of making sure that it was like new again. Completely tore apart the engine, looked at everything inside there, and and did what would needed to be done. Neat thing about that is that the original engine builder who worked in, worked in Leipzig on that car now works for Porsche Classic. And did the engine in this car? And so, when you have that type of expertise just wow. in the does room, does he come from
0: Germany, or does the engine go there?
2: Yes, it was done in Germany. Okay. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. That. So, I remember with some of these uh, with these cars, when something would happen to the car, especially you know mm-hmm. early on in its production, they had to fly a guy out. I mean, there was no guy at your local Porsche dealership that yeah. was going to work yeah. on a Carrera GT. I mean, they're very, very specialized, and and that's cool that they were able they to are. you know send the send, send the engine over there to have it done.
2: Well, I mean, we sent the car. The majority of the car was done in Stuttgart, oh, so it okay. really did go back to the factory. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. It, it, the majority of it was done there. Yeah, and and because the expertise right now is is there the um, carbon tub. I mean, we have about 350 hours alone just in the tub on that car. On that and single what that, car, wow. Uh, on that single car, because when you refinish carbon fiber. Because uh, as you know, there's a when it's exposed to the UV rays, especially the earlier uh, carbon fiber like that, you tend to get a little bit of a, um, a clouding or yellowing wherever the sun tends to hit it. And so, again, if you're trying to make the car new, then you need to you need to fix that. You need to make it look. <laughs> completely new and so that's a hand that's a hand process where you have to sand down that clear that's already on there but you can't go too far because if you go too far you'll get into the carbon fiber which will mark it and then when you go to refinish it it'll it'll uh, magnify that error and of course you can't have a hot spot like that when you're trying to do a um, a perfect refinishing and so one person did that whole thing uh, sanded down and then same thing with the paint and refinish you've got to do all that by hand
0: I can imagine the, right, the
2: pressure yeah. on that guy. He's like,
0: "Hey, hey, Hans, I'm going to have yeah. to have you do the clear coat polishing <laughs> on this. You're going to be doing this for the next ten weeks. So uh, why don't yeah. you go ahead and get started?"
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. And I, you know, the craftsmen that did this that did this work are just so enthusiastic about it. That was Udu that did the engine. Patrick did the um, interior, and the saddler for the car. I mean, he just did an incredible job. Again, it has to be a factory standards. But the whole interior was changed. You know, the car was originally a GT silver car with Ascot brown and black interior, and which is the brochure color combination. A lot of them were done that way, and it's a it's a great combination. But again, this was this was one man's dream, and so it was done in a Bordeaux, uh, dark you know, like a dark red burgundy leather with the houndstooth inserts. And so, these uh, this interior was completely done by hand by one person. I'll, by the way, it happened to be the same fellow that did the interior and the vehicle for project gold okay wow which was phenomenal if you had a chance to see that at Rensport as well
0: yeah well, i i hate to move right into another car but i you know i kind of <laughs> want to hear the story of how this car came to be i've seen little bits of 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 that car did some guy just was he just walking around a warehouse and went oh yeah there's a 993 chassis up on the shell and then up on the shelf and then he walked over to this other guy i was like hey why don't we restore that what 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 was the story? Well, it wasn't
1: even a restoration. That was just like a, a build.
2: Right? It's like a
0: brand new right. car. Where did this come from? Obviously, it's been sitting yeah. around a while.
2: Yeah, it's um, no. You're right. It's not a restoration. Some people have made comments about that uh, on social media about the restored turbo. It's not. It, it's a new. It's a new car. Uh, the the idea behind that car was. You're right. We had one one body shell that hadn't been used. That had been in storage since the 1990s. And Ray, so, can I
1: stop you there and ask why there was a body shell that was just unused? I mean, are those things that are for, for each model? They just keep these shells one of each, or was that kind of happenstance?
2: Yeah, I think in this particular case, it probably was happenstance, because it. that was another comment that I saw. Somebody was like, well, I guess they'll be pulling the 928 off the shelf next, or the 914 <laughs> and building one of those. But <laughs> no, um, this just happened to be one. For for whatever reason, I, I can't tell you because I really don't know, but... Um, the idea, of course, when you have one body shell like that, it's like you're you're not really gonna, you know, do anything with it as far as sell it to somebody because you'll wind up with a car that wasn't ever really produced. So, I guess in order to you know to um, take care of that, it became well, what if what if um, to to prove the point that Porsche Classic has over 52,000 parts in the Classic Parts catalog available for people to keep their cars on the road. What if we took the roughly 6,900 parts that we had specific to a 993 and we actually used them on that body shell so we could show people as like a rolling catalog that we actually we keep your cars on the road. We have enough parts we can actually make this one. It is a one of one. Uh, there are no more body shells to duplicate that, so that was it. Uh, and, of course, then there was a lot of handiwork that was done to it, but everything that was pulled off the shelf right down to the engine for that car was – was measured and checked to put the best, the best of the best into that gold car, as a representation. And, and was this built the by idea, Porsche
0: Classic as well?
2: It was completely built by hand by Porsche Classic. Yeah, right. this you have to think. You know, back when the 993s were produced, they were in a factory coming off of an assembly line. So, all of those cars, I, in my mind, this this gold car in, in no way changes any of the history of what was you know, the first, the middle, the last, whatever, of the uh, production cars, because those were made in a system at a factory during a time period. This is a car that was built by hand using these genuine classic parts by one team of people in Porsche Classic. And so it was totally assembled by hand, and it wasn't painted. Now, the corrosion protection that was done to the car, that was inserted back into the new car assembly line, just like we do with our restorations.
1: Where yeah, they I get remember reading the, that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was done to this car and everything, but it was painted by hand. I can imagine you that start- thing
0: getting wheeled over there at 2 o'clock in the morning when the assembly line stops. All right, guys, we got to spread these, get these 991s <laughs> out of the way, and let's yeah. slide this 993 in here and, and get her
2: done. <laughs> That's that's pretty much how it happens. I mean, that's imagine a 356 doing that, and that's that's what happens. <laughs> wow!
0: I would love to see a picture of a, a 356 hanging from something to go through the dip or whatever it is that they do, yeah. and then have like two 991s hanging on either side or something like that
2: would be really yeah. really interesting. <laughs> I think that'd be cool. Well, there is a there is a video of it on on uh, YouTube. Porsche did produce a video of a recent 356. They did and it. The video shows just that, so you might want hmm. to get a chance to check that out
0: for sure. So. um Let's talk a little bit about the auction itself. Now, I don't necessarily care about the values too much, although it does kind of ascribe a little bit of of the enthusiasm that's around the around the brand right now. But I no want to I want to hear about some of the some of the cars that were at the auction down at the Porsche Experience Center in Atlanta. I think it was last week that you guys had that.
2: That's right. It was just this past weekend. There's still a bit of a. Um Bit of a hangover feeling coming from that because it was such a wonderful, such a wonderful event. Everybody that uh, you know, you mentioned that we see at these shows, they came here, and we spent a couple days with them in, in the in the headquarters here with the RM Sotheby's folks. It was just a, a lot of fun. They they came up with about 60, 60 vehicles that they could put through the auction that were representative of the seventy years of Porsche history, and that was really the idea is sort of a way to wrap up this year-long celebration uh, that we've. We've been uh, enjoying by having this RM Sotheby's auction at the headquarters, and so they've, they've managed to find everything from a barn find 356s to restored 356s, all the way up to the um, 918 Spider, and some really cool cars in between, like the um, 959 prototype that was here. There's uh, some racing cars, like a 956, the only 956 to win a race on North American soil. Sort of a weird uh, can am loophole thing that happened uh, because you remember the nine sixty two was the car that was built to race in in North America, not right, not right. the nine fifty six yeah Chris so they had that my, car
1: my here turning trying to figure out wait nine fifty six chassis okay <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, the only one yeah, the only one and, and John fitzpatrick was uh, the driver, he was here and stood up on the block to uh, talk a little bit about the car before it went across the block. Uh, and I also had a car that you probably would have enjoyed seeing. You might have walked right by it in the lobby when we had the uh, preview out there. But it was a um, 911 uh, RS 2.7, but it was a prototype. And so it, it didn't have a ducktail, and it just says 911S on the back.
0: Oh, wow. a like, non-ducktail RS. That's right up my alley.
2: I do like that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So it was um, it was here and sold. And what was your home. favorite? What
0: was your favorite car at the auction? What did you enjoy seeing up on the on the
2: stage the most? You know, I, I to, It's going to sound so normal and simple, but it kind of brings me back to my own car. And uh, there was a, a 3.3 turbo here, a 964 turbo. It was just a gorgeous color combination. It was a um, uh, like a gunmetal gray, but with a Matador red leather interior. Ooh, and Matador it was just, red. <laughs> it was gorgeous.
0: Speaking of cars Love that it. are that are yours, what what is it that you're uh, you're restoring,
2: right now? Yeah, well, I have a nine sixty four turbo. It's a three point three. It's from nineteen ninety two, model year. But uh, it, I knew the car about seventeen years before I had a chance to become the next owner of the car because it belonged to um, fella at Brumos, who was the co instructor of the uh, driving school that Hurley uh, used to put on for all the customers that would buy a car there, and so. This car was um, purchased not long after they started the IMSA Supercar Series back in, the, um, back in the early 90s. And, of course, Brumos won that championship three years in a row with Hurley and Hans Stuck was driving. It was sort of a quasi-factory effort, at least from the North American standpoint. They were the factory team at that time. And so this car, while it was never a race car, it was a street car that was of that same time period. It's Grand Prix white, just like the race cars, the Brumos cars with the red and blue stripes, number 59. 58 were and so for me this was like it came back to that uh th- that thing that i love so much about connecting showroom stock racing the cars that you drive on the street to the cars that race on the track and so the car really represented that and i wanted something that for me would always be that stamp that i had to remind me of my time with brumos and so i i jumped at the chance to buy that car when i did and uh, now now we're going through the process of um, when we can get to it, because customer cars always come first, hmm. uh, of doing a restoration on the engine of that car and the suspension.
0: So, uh, is, and, that, is that what's that, left is the suspension and engine?
2: That's really it. You know, the car, cosmetically and interior and everything, it's really fine. It only has uh, 63,000 miles on it. But um, one thing I've noticed we did a car here, we did an 89 Turbo that the customer did an engine restoration on and a chassis restoration, so a braking system. Um, shocks springs you know the whole the whole suspension, and when I took that car out to put some some mileage on it because we use the test track here at the experience center early in the morning that 's how we we do the validation of our work. We just open up the garage doors and drive out, and you 're attached right to the that track that we funny. have
0: here every it's restoration awesome. shop in the world is jealous of that
2: <laughs> well i mean when you when you walk in the door in the morning and you're going for your cup of coffee and somebody interrupts you and says would you mind putting a few uh drive-in miles on this turbo or this 2.7 rs oh. i mean you know you kind of forget all about the coffee after that In fact, you don't <laughs> need it after that
0: yeah I bet. a hell of I, a there's, way to start there's the been some shops that i've I've gone on, uh, you know, you build, like, a turbo or something like that, and you got to mm-hmm. go take it on the street and just flog the hell out of it. You're breaking every rule in the book, and you're just hoping, <laughs> like, hell, that you don't get pulled over in some customer car or whatever. It sounds right. like a better way to do it.
2: No, it definitely is. It definitely is. So I had the chance to do that with this 89 Turbo. In fact, it was the, um, you might remember it from Rensport, it was the uh, the slant nose without the slant that sat in front of our classic building in the Porsche park.
0: What do you mean when you say slant nose without the slant?
2: Well, it's a really rare car. It was ordered with the rocker panels and the air intakes, but okay. still, with, still with the round stand-up headlights in the front. Uh, and so it, it's basically the slant nose body without the slant nose.
0: I haven't seen that. I'm I, I, surprised I missed
2: it. Yeah, it's a rare car. But anyway, it, it, when I drove that car, the, everything on that car is like it's supposed to be. And when I got back in my car... I realized just how much 26 years wear and tear even though it's only 63,000 miles and it was maintained and everything it's not like it was neglected but it's like you look at yourself in the mirror every day and you think, "Well, I look pretty good." But if you look at a picture of yourself <laughs> from 26 years ago, you know, you've changed a bit. Yeah, yeah. So so when I you do that to avoid the car, doing that, I I, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no no throwback Thursdays for you? No, let's let's not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I actually, I found a picture of myself um, from when I was in in my high school days where I was all six pack and ripped and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And I, and my wife didn't really know me then, but I showed her the picture and she goes, what the hell happened to all that? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, well, you know, sorry, it's it's gone. (laughs) Cannot be restored. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, can we
1: bring Chris to the uh, Porsche Classic Center? Yeah, no. So,
2: so what you're saying is you're one of those patina guys. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to use that one. Sorry, honey. This is patina. Better with age. That's right. Yeah, for sure. That's right. You're only tell her you're only new once. That's right.
0: (laughs) So, once this car is done, what's your plan for this car? What's the story?
2: Well, you and I are going to take it on a road trip. That sounds good. I'm thinking about that because you know your your videos and what you do with your car that's inspiring. And as we go through sort of our day to day with work and everything and all these great cars, I'm always reminded that I don't drive enough. You know, and I miss I do kind of miss the racing days and everything for sure. And now that I'm in Atlanta, uh, we're right we're right by the uh, mountains, which you know down in Jacksonville, Florida, you really didn't have that many um, entertaining roads to drive on. And so. I've been really getting into that, and I think I think a really good trip for us once we get this car done maybe is to um, to go uh, maybe from here up to Pittsburgh for that vintage Grand Prix. I think and that then sounds great. Back down again, you know, go along the Appalachian Mountains or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've got I've got an
0: Appalachian tour planned all done in Google Maps already, so I'm I'm <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> all right,
2: so that's that's the deal then.
0: All right. Um, well, one more question before I let you go is uh, if you could have any car that would be brought into your shop down there to have restored which one would you like to oversee the most anything whether it's a race car or a factory car anything what would you like to see come in the door
2: well okay so we only do we only do street cars with Porsche classic you know we, we are about the street cars Porsche motorsport takes care of the race cars so if you could bring anything in here the car that i would want to see in here has already been restored and that that's the coca cola 962 mm-hmm there's, there's two of them, actually, the one that won Sebring, chassis number 113, and then chassis number 102, which was Bob's first 962. We've had that here on display before, and it's it's beautifully done. Kevin Jeanette already did that one, and it's uh, beautifully finished.
0: What's significant um, so about that car for you? Why
2: that car? That was the car. Okay, so after I first met Bob at the Vintage Grand Prix back in 1986, I had never been to an IMSA race before, and so he invited Uh, me to come up to Watkins Glen with my family and watch the GTP race. And that was the car that was there, chassis number 113 actually was the one that was there. But it was the Coca-Cola 962. It was a dear friend. And that car just brings back such wonderful memories. Whenever I see it anywhere, whether it's 102 or 113, it's just such wonderful memories. Um, More of the person, you know, than than, uh, just being at the races and what have you, you know, it's, it, he's just proof positive that you can pay things forward, and anytime you get the chance to do that, you know you take it. And I think that's what uh, I think that's what I, I sort of associate most with that car is the man.
0: I think that's uh, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. And, absolutely, uh, absolutely, and I'm sorry I missed coming down to the, the the auction down there. I tried to make it happen, but it was the fifth birthday of my of my kid, so congratulations, a happy
2: birthday. Yeah, yeah you yeah. did. You made you made the right choice. That's true. <laughs> that's true.
0: I appreciate that. Well, thanks again, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk to you soon, man. Take care of yourself.
2: My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much.
0: Yep. yep. Thank Bye-bye. you. Goodbye. Yeah, that was interesting. I went to visit uh, Porsche Classic when I was down there for the Appalachian Adventure. And you go in there, and it's just... imagine If you could imagine exactly what a Porsche shop would look like <laughs> if it was owned by Porsche, <laughs> the, you are so you're, you're pitching it exactly correct. White, everything's
1: an operating everything's room.
0: Yes, there's like an engine building area, and then they have like this... The engines are sitting on a yoke, but it's like everything is like perfectly clean. Yeah. It's like they paint the floor every day. <laughs> it is so clean. It was really, really cool to see, and... Um, some of the cars that were there when I was there, there was an Albert Blue car being yeah. restored when I was there. and I was like, ooh, yes, that's, <laughs> that looks so you much better than my car.
1: You know, to, to Ray's point, it'd be very interesting to take an early 911 like that, that they just finished, and drive it. Just to compare it to, like, your car or my car, your car's much further along than mine as far as, like, everything's set on it. You've gone through all the suspension everything else. But to drive, like, a factory-perfect car and then go back into I my know. car, it'd be – actually, I, it'd be I, disappointing. Yeah, I, I, don't know that, I don't know that you want to do that. You probably shouldn't do that.
0: Well, Listen to, listen to talk about, like, yeah, we sanded down the clear coat on the, on the career GT. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, are there any – I mean, I'm sure there's some shops out there that have a high attention to detail. But I don't think that anybody's going to this – no, well, like you said,
1: we basically were making a new car. Yeah, like factory fresh. Awesome.
0: Anyway, I think that's very cool. That's really really rad. So I want to get into a little bit about the um, just this this van thing. Okay, and this is a really exciting story, uh, Chad. <laughs> It's it it is it's cool. Okay. Did you read into it at all? No,
1: I didn't. Okay, I want to I want to hear it fresh. Okay,
0: so I was talking to Chad at SCI, and he's like super van guy, right? He's got yeah. he's got a Dajiban bond that he's swapping an LS into, and it's lowered on wheels, and he put like bride seat <laughs> or Recaro seats with bride fabric on them. Just like some weird stuff. Like the whole van culture is it is a huge subculture of cars, big, huge. Like especially custom vans. Yes, and they're called vanners, and you go van in. Okay, is what, is what,
1: what, what, what is going vanning? I want to know, like, do you go on road trips and I think camp you, in your van?
0: You go on road trips or you hang out, go somewhere and hang out in your van. I know your van is comfortable. It's got shag carpet and right. a disco ball. <laughs> I mean, where else would you rather be, right? Okay. Okay, so um, in the, I am I'm i don't want to let everybody know what's going on. So we're going to kind of go through the story of the van, a little bit of its history, and then you'll start to catch on what what's happening as we go. Okay. Um. So in the late 70s, California teen Nick Masalis, he's 59 now, of San Diego, California, owned the Wild Cherry van in the late 70s. Now, this is a 1975 Chevy G10 van, and it's cherry red. Um, It's got, like, little flares on it, and, you know, it's got the little porthole window in the back. And in gold (laughs) writing down the side, it says Wild Cherry.
1: So, he did he customize it back he in the day? The to look like he customized the van. He
0: named this van after seeing his girlfriend come out of school with a can of Canada Dry Wild Soda and paid a man $75 to paint the name on the sides. And then he added the <laughs> fancy pinstriping. Awesome. The artwork and the van's newfangled tinted windows caught the eye of a Van, nu- uh, van Nuys Boulevard movie producer who filmed it cruising and sitting at a stoplight. Uh, both clips are in the movie's two minute trailer. So, you can see the van. It's just like. It's a movie about uh, – so the, the film tells the story of a small-town boy who hears about the wild nights of cruising Van Nuys Boulevard in California. He drives out there to check it out and gets involved with drag racers, topless dancers, bikers, et cetera. So it's like 70s. I kind of want to
1: see this movie I do, now. too. I haven't seen it. But
0: we, should, we should watch it. Um, for sure. So it's in this movie. It's just cruising the strip. Like yeah, it's nothing, it makes a cameo. It's nothing that special. There's okay. other vans. I think the Orient Express van might be in there. I'm not sure. That's a really famous van.
1: Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know much about van. van I kind
0: of like. I have maybe not followed van culture but I look at vans every once in a while cuz okay. I think it would be sweet. There was so before I bought what before I bought something what was it? <laughs> I don't remember. But there was like a, an old 70s GMC van that was brown with like brown, gold and white and pinstripes all down the side and okay. had a portal window on it. I wanted that van. Well, it only had like 40,000 miles on it. That
1: would have been perfect for towing your boat
0: cuz that would have I've, matched your yes. boat. It, that was the plan, but <laughs> it seemed like maybe it wasn't such a good I- idea. Anyway, okay. in the early 80s, according to Laura Godin, her husband was 18 when he cashed in his savings bonds and bought the Wild Cherry van from a neighbor in uh, a year before they got married. The couple cruised the boulevard in it, took it to Malibu and Yosemite National Park and lived in it for six months. Wow. Okay. In the early 90s, she parked the van on their mountain property near Lancaster, California and stopped registering it. Um in 2016, a photo was widely circulated on Facebook. The photo shows the van rusted with a tree laying on it, and it was hit by wildfire. So um, you can see I, I have the picture is in. You guys are going to have to go look this stuff up yourself. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, actually, I'll probably post the pictures on yeah. social media, too. But just look up Wild Cherry Van. Um, you'll be able to find find okay. the pictures. So, that I'm so we about. go
1: from late 70s, this teen Nick. Customizes the van. At some point in the 80s, he sells it. This other person buys it. And now in 2016, it's dilapidated, rusting in a field.
0: In a field. Like it is garbage. It right. is scrap metal. Okay. It is done. There's and the a story. tree. There's a tree laying on Too it. Too bad. There it, went it, the van. It's rusty. It had been burned. The seats were on fire. I mean, the thing was done. I mean, okay. nobody would, rest- if this was a regular van, nobody would restore this van. But, but
1: for some reason, our story continues. But
0: for some, well, not for some reason. It's, fame, it's a famous van. It was in okay. this famous Van Van Nuys Cruising Boulevard movie. Okay. right? So it's got, it would almost be like, um, not in the same scope, but seeing the bullet Mustang showed up all of a sudden. Sure. You know, it, it showed up, right? I don't know if okay. you saw it. Remember that when the bullet yes, Mustang? Yes, I do remember that. Went up for auction or whatever, or no, did it didn't go up for auction. Or did the guy keep it? I don't remember. Well, I don't remember what happened there. Anyway, um, after a year of research, Illinois resident Chris Carter locates the van on Google Maps. So he finds <laughs> it next <laughs> after a year. After a year, he finds it. It's like you can see the Google Maps picture. I don't know if I included it in you the notes. Did. Yep, in the notes or not, but you can see that the van is just—it's this little blob next to the road, right, yep. right next to the road. Sure, right there, which is significant for reasons I'll get into later. Okay. Um, In November of 2017, Carter and a friend travel to retrieve the van. They get help from neighbors, assuming that it is abandoned. I would say that he cherry picked it. Is that a pun? Yeah. Okay. Um, So then he. So basically, what happens is. uh, blah 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 blah. I just want to make sure I get the order right. So when he goes to get the van, okay. there's uh he checks with the he can't get a hold of that property owner of that okay. property. So he gets a hold of the neighbor uh-huh. who calls the sheriff uh-huh. who opens up the gate so they can get the van. They open up the gate, let him get the van. Agree that it's been abandoned. It's within however many feet from the road qualifies as an abandoned vehicle. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. Um, in June twenty uh he so in November of twenty sixteen he starts Wild Cherry Customs. So he wants to start restoring vans. Sure. And he's going to use this van, restore this van as, as like his a promo, as, and, as his yeah. promo, his kickoff. Vanners from all over the country help restore the van. They donate money, around 6000 or $7,000. Wow. And they send him tons of rare and no longer available parts.
1: Oh, sure. Just okay. like
0: windows, like, who knows, suicide knobs for the steering of whatever these guys do in their van. Disco <laughs> right. balls, okay. you know, strobe lights, whatever is <laughs> going on in there. I'm sure there's probably some sort of... Drug paraphernalia involved as well. In June of 2018, Laura Godin, the uh, the owner of the van that was sitting on the land, files a stolen vehicle report with the LA County Sheriff. Okay. She said um, she and her husband Stephen had stopped registering it in the early 90s, but she said that they had dreamed of restoring it someday. Uh-huh. "Quote: Carter has no idea the sentimental value that I hold my, in my heart of that van,"
1: she said. Okay. No way. No way. Well, no let me, way. Let me ask None. the question. None. So this, this stolen vehicle claim was filed after he restored the vehicle? Correct. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Correct. Carter has told the Belleville News Democrat and stated on Facebook and Instagram that he took possession of the van with help from local property owners, including a sheriff's deputy who called it abandoned. The guy unlocked the gate, allowed him to drive up on the dirt road. Mm-hmm. September 15th, 2018. Carter and other vanners lead on a road trip to L.A. called the Wild Cherry Van Run. September 19th, Wild Cherry and other vanners participate in a classic car show on Van, nu- Van Nuys Boulevard. October 3rd, Carter is arrested in Illinois for felony vehicle theft outside Madison County Courthouse on his way to a divorce hearing <laughs> of his wife. That is a
1: bad day. <laughs>
0: Holy. Guess who's actually mad, though? His wife, because they didn't get the divorce, so now he's in jail he didn't get the divorce. She has to wait for the divorce. That is a bad day. That is a bad day. That's a bummer. He's going to get divorced and gets arrested anyway. So I feel bad <laughs> for his wife. It's almost like his <laughs> wife. It's almost like his wife should have been like, "Hey, let him get divorced first before you take him away." Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, Carter's friends start another gofundme campaign for legal fees, and police post a bu- bulletin of the stolen van, October fifth. What is, uh, do we know anything about this bulletin? Why they placed a Well, it's just like, hey, this is a stolen van. Have you seen this van? Oh, so they arrested him. They arrested him. They don't know where the van is. He didn't tell them where the van is. Correct. The van is missing (laughs) at this time. Okay. October 5th, Judge rescinds Carter's bond, leaving him to wait for extradition to California. October 19th, the van has disappeared. Among the last people to see the van were those who took part in the Wild Cherry van run in mid-September, the event which Carter organized, inning on Van Nuys Boulevard, where the movie was
1: filmed. Hold on. Let's rewind a little bit. So he's arrested on the 3rd, sits in jail for two days until the judge then rescinds his bond, saying basically— We don't trust you. You're going to run. That's—wow. Yeah. Um, so on
0: October 26th, he's extradited to California for trial. So he's, he's in California right now. Okay. Um, one person who has strong feelings about the Wild Cherry case is Tim Welch, 53, of, of just Gillespie. That must yeah. be Gillespie, Illinois, owner of Welch's Route 66 Auto Body Shop, where Carter formerly worked. Mm. Welch was an early supporter who helped Carter unload the van in early December and allowed him to work on it at his shop. He also bought a 1976 Chevy van for Carter to use as a donor van for replacement parts and paid him to travel to New York to pick it up. But their relationship quickly deteriorated. Welch said he fired Carter. He's a dirtbag, Welch said Thursday. He got $10,000 out of me. I tried to help him, but when I found out from a good source that the van was stolen, it left my shop and so did he. I've been in this business for 43 years and people like Chris Carter kill our business. You don't know who to trust and who not to trust. He's a con man. Whoa. So here's the deal. To get the title worked out for this car, he washed the title through Florida, so he must have done something where he like pretended the car was impounded, titled it in Florida with okay. his grandmother's name, and then retitled it in Illinois. So he and that's illegal. That's illegal. You cannot wash a title. Um, the VIN corresponds with an Illinois Secretary of State record for a 1975 Chevy registered in August to Vicki Carter. Chris Carter's grandmother. Beyond theft charges, Welch said Carter will likely be in trouble for washing the vehicle's title, gotcha. presenting a bogus bill of sale to obtain a title in Florida, where laws are less stringent on what is required as a proof of purchase, and then using that title to get a second one in Illinois. So he fabricated a bill of sale because he didn't have the title. Right. This chick cl- claims the title was in the van, but obviously it
1: wasn't. Interesting. Uh, I. So I haven't. So the ba- van has been found. Okay, but hold on with the whole title washing. He bought a donor van out of New York that presumably is in better shape than the rusted out van. Correct. But I suppose in order to restore, you, you can keep... You can't just like... You can't cut the VIN off and move it onto the other yeah, van. Yeah, that's I mean, kind of my question. You
0: can, but that's also illegal. Right. So maybe he felt like this was the lesser illegal thing to do. Okay. Um, so the van has been found. Reports are that when police found the van, it was on the side of the freeway stripped. It was spray-painted black and was abandoned on the side of the road. The dashboard, the engine, the transmission, and the plates are missing. It looks like it used to be red, but they painted over it with spray paint. Said a Keystone employee who asked not to be named. That's the impound lot. Just part of the roof is red, and the rest of it is black. And it has some shitty wheels on it. And it is 100% stripped to the ground. Nothing is left. Do
1: we know it is that original chassis, There's
0: some debate on whether it could be or not, but you can see the Wild Cherry script. Okay. on the van still spray painted over. I don't know. It's like there's guys so with if like I was this guy zooming in on like yeah. the vin plate and nobody can see anything. It's all the, there's a wild cherry van facebook page that's dedicated to this controversy and it is a cesspool.
1: It is terrible. <laughs> I mean there are
0: there are, you saw the
1: little magazine thing, right? Yeah, someone made like a mock magazine cover of How this. How whole... to sweet
0: talk your way into van in history. The real story behind Wild Cherry. Drive it like you stole it. And then it's like, where to find your nest abandoned project? <laughs> Ten months of buildup by hook or crook. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, everybody's just tearing into this guy. Now, here's the thing. Do you think the guy had a right to strip the van to a bare chassis and leave it? I don't, so I don't understand who did that. His buddy. They had it in a storage unit, apparently. And then he had his friend strip the van down. But they, this is what's presumed. Because okay. we don't really know. He's in jail. And they found the van. The guy's stripped.
1: still in jail for this.
0: Yeah. Well, dude, this was like five days ago.
1: I don't he got I don't blame this guy. Like he got let on the property, the sheriff said and agreed, okay, this was an abandoned vehicle. Like I feel like he should have done more due diligence to make sure everything was like legally legit. I blame the previous owner who left it there more, and then after it's restored and sees it and he goes, Hey, wait a minute, that's been stolen. So just because something is a like on your property and is abandoned, you can just open their gate and go and take it. No, I agree. That's wrong, but it sounds like, I don't, I don't, it doesn't sound like he just stole it though. Well, it, Couldn't get a hold of the owner,
0: which is terrible. Okay, let's say you can't, let's say you've got your MG 30 years from now, you still own it sitting on the side of your garage, and it's been sitting there forever. Clearly, it's been sitting there forever. Right. I call you on the phone, I knock on your door, I can't get a hold of you, and I drag it away and say, Well, he didn't answer the phone, he didn't answer the door. It's been sitting there a really long time. Clearly, that guy's not doing anything with it, so I took it so I could restore it.
1: Yeah, that's shady, but why didn't this owner then? Report it stolen, like, on day one when she notices it's gone. Why does she wait until it's been fully restored and she, like, sees it? Because she
0: probably didn't even know it was stolen until until she saw it on social media. Yeah, someone was, hey, check out your van. Wait, that's my van. That guy stole my van. Now, clearly this this chick is some hippie gold digger, right? She thinks she's going to get the van back restored for nothing because yeah so that's probably why he stripped the van down but here's what he should have done what this guy's trying to start wild cherry customs yep. van restoration company he should have called up motor trend on demand and said hey guys this is the story i took this van i restored this van this chick used to own this van yep. sema's coming up why don't we go to sema fly laura godin in here i'll bring the van down i'll give her the title yeah. she can have the van I mean, it's probably that t- would have been genius from like a marketing genius. standpoint. But I've watched some videos. This guy, he's a moron. Oh, really? He's a total moron. He's not a I smart I feel like there dude. aren't
1: any smart players involved in this story.
0: It does not seem that way. And it's. It's it's sad. I, don't, I wouldn't want her to get the van back all restored. Right. No way. Right. Not a chance. But I also don't want this guy to have the van after, you know, he obviously knew he was doing something wrong. If he yeah. Fabricated a bill The whole like, sale. washing the title thing. Yeah. Like he knew a little bit. And plus, everybody sent all those parts to the guy and he stripped the van down. Where are all these parts and this right. money?
1: Yeah, like 10 grand worth of that and his previous employer who says he's a crook. Anyway, so we'll keep an eye on this story <laughs> for you guys and and see what else is is going on. Wow. So. You know what'd be a crazy twist is if the van that's stripped and spray-painted isn't actually Wild Cherry, they just made it look like it out of another shell. That's kind of, you know, Wild Cherry is like sitting in a warehouse somewhere. That's what people are kind of speculating might be I doubt The, case. the guy's smart enough to do that. Yeah. 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 But Wow, that's crazy.
0: So we'll keep you updated. Um, next week, we have, uh, on the next week's episode, we have Kurt Oblinger. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's an old school motorsports photographer. And we're going to have him on, on on next Monday. And we're going to talk to him about motorsports photography in the golden era of motorsport racing. So it'll be it'll be good. And if you like episodes like this, and if you like episodes like that one's coming up, go to patreon.com slash Break out your wallet. Five bucks a month. Support us. us. And uh, like I say, if you like this podcast, your I friends will too. Yes, please share it. All right, take care, guys. We'll see you next week.
2: There were plants and birds and rocks and things. There was sand and hills
0: and rain. The first thing I met was a fly with a
1: buzz and the sky with no clouds. The heat was hot and the ground. The desert on a
0: horse